So uh, I am a father. You would think I would uh, share a message on Father's Day. We have four kids, but that's not what I'm going to do. I think it was more of a ride, hang on, you know, glad we got them kind of through and halfway raised. And, you know, it always seems to be a journey with kids. But uh, uh, I've, I've always told people within our company, I said, if you find a, 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 a guy that's raised really decent kids, hire them. They just can figure stuff out because there's so many things that those uh, kids throw at you. But uh, so um, I put a message together this week and I was all prepared and uh, I didn't know this, but Laura sent out a text to a bunch of people mentioning that I got a really bad headache yesterday. And I went back and looked at my notes and they just absolutely made no sense. And on a Saturday afternoon, you know, that's a bad feeling when you know you're going to be sharing the next day, okay? And uh, um, I just started praying, and I, I said, you know, God, what is it that you want me to share? Because all of a sudden, this was working, and now it's not working, and, you know, where do I go with this? And he just spoke something into my spirit, and he said, you know, share a message on how do you move forward from where you are now, Okay. And, you know, I'm, my first thought was, really, I'm going to have to change this whole thing at this stage in the game. You know, it's not what I envisioned doing, but I went with it. And the message I was going to share on, I'll just give you kind of the, the cliff note, was uh, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, Jesus talks about where wickedness starts suppressing the truth, and he eventually gives uh, over to a deprived mind to let the wickedness or sin play out in the bodies of, of those around us. And then in the next chapter, he says, but don't you judge. And he got to the point where he said, he even said, do you show contempt for the kindness of God and his patience? Because he let these, lets these things play out in people's lives that they might finally get to a point where they'll want to come back to him. And oftentimes we like to play the God police, you know, and we like to fix everything around us and make sure it's just right. So that was the gist of the message. That's just a commercial. I'm not going to speak on that. So either that or we could just go home one or the other. So um, as I begin to thought uh, about how do you move forward from where you are now? And I just kind of sense that there were some. I know I've been here. You just kind of hit a wall. You know what I'm saying? You just don't know how to get past where you are. Things didn't necessarily play out in your life the way you planned. You're not kind of where you expected you would be at this point. And as a result, you know, you, you tend to put up guards around your heart. And I'm going to even say you put up guards around your heart towards things of the gospel. Because, you know, you find yourself getting hurt or somebody, uh, especially in the church or close family, you really have opened your heart to that group, and when something happens, it hurts the most, and so you kind of guard, and it kind of locks you up, if you will. And so um, I began to think about Paul, and he talked about running life as a race, and I was a runner growing up, uh, and so I always added a lot of my own uh, uh, kind of expounded on the race theme, but I just want to read out of 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul says, do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get the crown that will not last, but we do it to get the crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Uh, I think it's interesting. He says only one gets the prize. Uh, in this day and age, we like to lower the standards and people don't work that hard to get the winning prize. But he says to treat it as if you're working to get first place. You want to get the prize. And so growing up uh, in northern Indiana, uh, track I found was something I could do. You know, a lot of things I've done in my life that I thought I could do, I couldn't. Singing's one of them. And uh, so, you know, over time, you just find the little things that work for you and the things that don't. Hopefully, you settle in on the things that do work. Well, I could run for whatever reason. And uh, so in, um, uh, in, in sixth grade, I started running. And by the time I was in eighth grade, I had kind of settled in that the 880 was one of my races. It was a half mile, roughly. And in eighth grade, I ran it in, uh, I think, two minutes and 12 seconds was my best time. And uh, that wasn't that far off the high school state records. Uh, it was less than 20 seconds. And uh, did not lose a race in eighth grade. But I had learned a lot about racing. And I had a coach that was pretty good. And he taught me that there were four parts of the race. There was the beginning and the end, which were the easiest. Uh, the beginning, you just kind of had to get off to a good start. But then there was the early stage of the race, uh, which that's kind of where all the strategies were being developed. You were kind of reading your components. You knew who the other fast people were. So you were kind of trying to figure out what they were doing. And you were trying to set your strategy for the race at that time. But the, uh, the hardest part of the race, the one that really was all your training came into play, um, it required the, uh, the most amount of effort in my mind was the middle of the race. It was the long part. And the 8080 was almost a dead sprint, but it wasn't a dead sprint. And there, you had to rely upon your stride, and you had to trust your stride. And I remember my coach saying, just lock into that stride, lock into that stride, lock into that stride, and let it carry you and put you in a position to win at the end of the race, okay? And the middle of the race is where people fall off, they get tired and they slow down, because it's the grueling, it's the grinding, it's the place in the race that uh, is, quite frankly, no fun. And I remember as I would run, I would literally watch one foot go in front of the other, and I wouldn't even necessarily know where I was on the track because I was just trying to maintain that stride and to take focus, okay? And then when I got in position for the end, I knew what it took to finish strong. And uh, that worked out for me. Uh, and so Paul compares our journey like a race. And I began to reflect about just how Laura and I got started in the race and where we are now, and it's a very different position. And Laura and I met in church. Uh, I came out to Nebraska in the Air Force. Some of the guys have heard a little bit of that story. Laura was uh, an officer's daughter, so she came here in the military. 
and we met at uh, Bellevue Christian Center in a youth group. And so we started uh, going to the same cell group, and I thought she was kind of cute, but we, we never really dated. We just got to know each other over a year period where we were just in a larger group setting, and we would you know, know each other, but there was, I think there was a connection there. But we, we literally grew a bond in the word, and we grew a bond in prayer, and we both were at the same meetings, and we noticed that, and we began to encourage and strengthen each other and challenge each other in the word. And um, I think the thing that's probably the most interesting about uh, our, our courtship or our early phase of our, our race was that uh, um, when and how we got engaged. And I think I might have shared this with you guys, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I was stationed on the, the 747 up at Offutt, and it supported the president, so the president can literally run the war if there was a war from that airplane, launch nukes and everything. And so at the time, in 1986, President Reagan was the president. He used to go to Southern California. So we followed the president. So the month of August I would spend in Southern California and over uh, Christmas. And so Christmas of 1986, I was out there supporting president on vacation, got back about 10 o'clock at New Year's Eve, and I was going to drive to Indiana to go see my family. That's what you do on Christmas, right? And so I get home. We didn't have cell phones back then. So I had a note from Laura that said, hey, you want somebody to ride along? You're going to be driving through the night. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Well, first of all, I can't believe our parents let us do this, but we were 21, so I suppose it was okay. And so uh, she came along, and uh, so we got to Indiana. We're, we're driving back home after the trip, and I'm thinking, you know, guy, she's a pretty good catch. If you're going to make a move, you probably ought to make a move, right? And so we're driving back, and I can't, we're, we're still in dispute over the mile marker that this happened. I say it was mile marker 27 before we got into Nebraska. She says it's 19. But I reached over and I grabbed her hand. And she said, I am not ready to get married and you can't make me. And, <laughs> and I really thought, wow, I did not expect that response. But there was not a word said the rest of the way, and it seemed like 10 hours getting, you know, that last 30 minutes home. And we got home, and I dropped her off. And that whole week, uh, we didn't talk. Monday, we didn't talk. Tuesday, Thursday. And I'm like, I guess this is just over. Kind of weird, you know? And so I went and visited a guy Thursday night who led the prayer. Uh, his name was Jim Gilstore, extremely just prophetic, the guy had tremendous wisdom. I respected him greatly. And he didn't really know who Laura was. And so Thursday night, we're talking, and you know, he said, what's on your heart? And I shared, and I said, there's this girl. And he looked at me, and he said, you know you're to be married. And I'm like, well, it's not really up to me now, is it? And he said, but one thing needs to happen, and there's something about her life that you need to share with her and uh, where she's running, and she was headed off to somewhere that Monday, and so I'm like, okay, we've only got three days here, I mean, how's this going to work, you know, because we kind of question everything, really, you know, and uh, so as time went on, um, I, uh, 
I got up the next morning, and Laura called, and she goes, well, are you picking me up for prayer tonight? And I'm like, just like nothing had ever happened. Like, everything was back before this whole deal, and it's like, we're not even going to talk about this or anything. But So I picked her up, and she's just acting like nothing ever really happened. And so we get to later on that night, and I said, you know, Laura, there's something I need to share with you. I just think your decision to go off is not of God, and you're running. And she just said, I can't go. And she said, I think both God, we know what God wants for our lives, don't we? And we were engaged at that point. We had never kissed. We had never. But we both, the Holy Spirit had been working on both of us. But that's how we started our race. You know, we really were in tune. And I say were because it's more of a struggle now. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But we got off to a good start. And then as we got off into the race, we started having kids and oh my goodness, talking about a distraction, I mean, you know, that can be a major distraction because you find out, you know, the city girl and the farm guy, we have difference of opinion about how you raise kids, you know, and so then you start working through that kind of stuff and you, you hit a few bumps in the roads with relationships or, or jobs or whatever it might be or church and all of a sudden it just kind of seems to be not as quite as exciting is the beginning and the thing about the beginning is you have all your energy okay you can conquer the world and but as you start into the race and you start going through some of the bumps it slows you down just a little bit and then um, the uh, the the middle of the race is where I would consider us now and it's an interesting time because you know when you were at the beginning, man, we were all going to be pastors. We were all going to be, you know, doing these great things and big things. And we get here and it's different than kind of what we expect. And it can almost be discouraged in a way. But I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in the church to have to, to perform at a certain level. And we get a lot of anxiety. And, uh, uh, and so the end of the race, I really can't speak to that so much because I'm not there yet. You know, Paul said one time, I speak of only of that which Christ has worked through me. And there's some things I just can't really speak to you on because I don't know. I've not been there. And uh, but what's amazing about Paul is the race that he ran. And the thing that was interesting about Paul, when you read any of his letters, is people didn't get to his heart, you know, they, they did a lot of bad things to him. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was thrown in prison. He was cold and naked and hungry. I think that would have been the hardest for me. When I get hungry, you can get to me pretty quickly. You know, I break down. And, uh, you know, but he went through all of that. And in one account in Acts 16, after a beating, he and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And... Um, so in Acts 16, Paul was, um, he was out walking and there was this lady behind him and she was, you know, saying, hey, you're the servant of the most high God. And, and this went on for a long time and it was becoming irritating to him, almost in a mockery sense, I, I'm suspecting. And uh, he turned around and cast the demon out of the lady. Well, the, her owners made a lot of money by her and because the demon went out, she wasn't as interesting and couldn't make money like she could before. So they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas 
and the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay, don't know what that would be like, not something we really have to deal with. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, at this point, I don't know where you guys are. I'm, I'm kind of like, God, I thought we would be protected here, you know, what, where is the Holy Spirit? You know, I mean, I thought we had a wall around us. I thought we couldn't be touched like this, okay? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I'm thinking, not necessarily my response, okay? But it was a Paul response, and it's how he responded. And, uh, and it said all the other prisoners were listening to them. And if you go on and read the story, you know, they were uh, supernaturally set free, and, uh, but they were singing. They were singing hymns. They were singing. Philippians 3.2, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And, you know, I, I just kind of began to think a little bit, and it's like, you know, has Paul ever really been hurt by the church, though? I mean, yeah, you know, I think I could take it if I knew it was for the gospel and all the bad guys were beating me up and I could you know, have this, you know, righteous indignation and could just stand up to it. But what about when he was vulnerable and people were close to him? I can't really say what he experienced there. I know he and uh, Barnabas had a run-in. Um, I'll just read that. It says, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, uh, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in, uh, what's the name of the town? Do you know? Perthia? Any, it doesn't matter. And had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. And uh, they had a sharp disagreement, okay? Now, is that a hurt? I don't know. I, I really don't, but I knew that he had to work through things. I mean, things didn't always just fall into play for him. You know, he was um, having to, uh, to deal with stuff along the way. And um, so how, how do we move forward from where we are, okay? I don't know where you are. I know where I am. Uh, you know, personally, Rockport's been a good thing for Laura and I, you know, we raised our kids. Um, uh, you know, many of you don't know how we ended up down here, but uh, it was kind of a crazy thing where I found some land that kept coming our way, and we ended up buying it, kind of some recreational land. And so we would come down here. We actually live in Papillion, and we'd come down on the weekends. And, and um, uh, you know, it turned out that uh, it's like, man, if we're down here, we ought to find a little church we could come to when we're down here, but we really go to Glad Tidings. It's kind of a weird deal. We're kind of mixed between, but, you know, uh, 
So I had my work boots on. I was working and walked in and sat back in the corner, and I'm like, hmm, okay, this could work, you know. And so to make a long story short, when we're down here, we come. So that's why we're not here every week. But, uh, but it's been really good for us. This, this has been uh, in, in so many different ways that because we have just been under the grind and this has been a real just a healing uh, just a good place for us so we appreciate that but how do we move forward with, from where we are and wherever we are regardless of where we are the race is always in front of us it's always in front of us okay um, I remember one time I was running a race and the worst thing that can happen to a runner in a race like the races I would run is to break your stride. Because once you broke your stride, you're done. You're, you're probably, by the time you get it back, the race has already left you. And uh, I, had, uh, I had a situation one time where I was leaving references in one place where he asked, the, uh, was it in Galatians, where he asked, who cut in on you? You know, a lot of references to racing. And one time I had somebody cut in on me and break my stride. And uh, before I knew it, I was 10 paces back from the pack. And I'm like, okay, this is just over. Well, it happened to be, I convinced myself that I could, if I could just extend my stride and push it a little harder, but I knew I would probably be sacrificing the energy at the end of the race. And I did, and it worked out, and I ended up winning the race. But uh, the thing that, I've never seen anybody recover from, ever. Matter of fact, whenever I watch a track race and I watch somebody look back, I said they just lost the race. You cannot recover from a looking back in a race. And it causes you to break your stride to the extent that by the time you get back and get oriented, it just takes too much to get your stride back. And so the race is always in front of us. Um, you know, if you're at the beginning of the race, you have your entire life ahead of you. Start strong. Set your, set your sight. Paul says, I set my sight on Christ. Okay? Set your sight. I, I see so many people that want to live double. And when you live double, you don't become good at anything. You just become medium at, at anything. But when you focus and you decide to race, and if, if any of you have played sports or have done anything where it requires lots of discipline, it's work. It takes all of your energy. You don't have energy left to divide elsewhere. And so to really start strong and go with it. Um, the middle of the race, um, that is the part I keep going back to. It's the grind. It's the grind. It's the long part of the race. And uh, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, uh, you almost think Paul wrote this just because of kind of this language. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin so that so easily entangled. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
And I, uh, being what I would consider in the, the middle of the race, I find myself more often than not having to focus on the stride, okay? Focus on the stride, right? We want to be in position when we get to the end that we can uh, finish strong. But if we maintain in the word, we maintain in prayer, we, we, life's messy. We've all learned that by now. It, you know, when you get to be in my age, I'm 52. Lord, just remind me I'm going to be 53. Uh, uh, don't know how I got there, okay? But life's messy, and it tends to beat us up over time, and it tends to put us in a position where we don't really, we don't know how we got here. But to stay in focus, relying on your stride, keeping with it, not giving up. And I was sharing this with Laura yesterday, and she says, do you realize how many people in our lives have dropped out of the race? Okay, there's been a lot. And it's, 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 it's sad. Let's not be that. Okay, if somebody cut in on you and, and broke your stride, get focused. Okay, get focused. Put yourself in a position to finish strong. And towards the end of the race, I can't speak to it, but I'm going to read what Paul said to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Amen. Amen. You're right, sister. Amen. You can come on up, Lord. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, okay? And if you look at Paul's life and you read the, his missionary journeys, um, there were things he knew that he was going to have to face, and there were things that just caught him off guard. He didn't expect to get shipwrecked. Can you imagine spending the night in the cold water? You know, I mean, I would think after a while, you'd just kind of get worn down and say, man, this is just too much, you know. You let the younger ones do this. This is just too, too much. But I'm telling you what, I think we all have a lot to give, but, but keep with it. And, you know, I think if we can praise like Paul, pray like Paul, and work like Paul, we'll get there. We'll put ourselves in a great position. But with that, I don't know where any of you are. This is just what uh, I felt on my heart to share as a, an adjustment. But let's just take a few minutes. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up here. If you want to, you can at the altar. But let's just take a few minutes and fix our eyes upon Jesus. Okay, let's calibrate. Let's think about the stride. Okay, wherever you are in your walk, think about the stride. Sometimes you just have to watch one foot go in front of the other to keep you going, okay? But you'll be amazed, you'll be amazed at the impact that you're having in people's lives when you keep living it. Because I'll tell you what, if there's one thing, um, the message I was going to share, um, we like to fix things, but we don't like to live it. We like to play the God police, but it's not as maybe fun to live sometime, but let's keep with our stride, keep with our living, keep with our faith, and let your life be a testimony of those around us. But I have to remind myself, watch the stride, watch the stride, watch the foot, one in front of the other, okay? I wanna, I'll finish with this one here. Uh, there was one race with the big school, 
okay? It's always the big schools that psych you out, right? Came from a smaller school. And this kid's name was Klingerman, and he was fast. He had not lost a race either, and so we were coming up undefeated. And I was really psyched out by this guy. I didn't know if I could beat him or not, okay? And when we started the race, he took off at a pace, and I thought, oh, my goodness, there is no way I got the ability to stick with this. And so we're in the strategy part of the race. What do you do? And I'm like, I'm just going to step my stride up and go stride for stride with him, and we'll just see how this plays out, because if he gets this far ahead of me, there's no hope of me ever catching him, okay? And I'm literally watching his stride, and I'm matching it, and that's all I'm seeing is his stride. I don't see anything else, okay? He got, so it's two laps around. He got uh, three-fourths of the way the first way around, and I don't know if it was with the footsteps he heard, but he just stopped. He couldn't maintain that pace. But he was try his strategy was to get far enough ahead that he could uh, he he could psych me out and and beat me. So by me keeping with stride, he literally just cut way back, blew him away. Okay, he was better than that, but that was his. But keeping with the stride, keeping with the stride, it, it's it really winning the race was all about especially the middle part of the race.